Hello, and my name is Peter Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. I'm joined today by James Adcroft. James has been in the transport industry for a number of years and has a quite high profile role as compliance manager for a large supermarket chain. However, he's with me today in a personal capacity to discuss the industry as an expert and as someone who's really passionate about it. So I'm super delighted to have him on the show. Please do enjoy. So uh, yeah, the red light's rolling and I've got James Adcroft joining me for today's podcast episode and I'm really, really grateful. James and I have probably got to know each other over the past sort of six or so, six to 12 months on social media, on, on both LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, we're part of uh, similar transport management communities where, uh, particularly on Facebook, we sort of share share experiences, share information around the different roles that we do. And uh, we're both passionate transport professionals. So it felt really natural to invite James on today. And I'm really, really pleased that he's joined us. He has got quite a high profile uh, role for a household name, um, but he's here obviously representing himself and uh, and we're sharing some of the ideas that we, we share on social media for the benefit of the greater industry and for the benefit of those who are interested in listening. So um, James, over to you really. Are you, uh, are you able to just introduce yourself for the listeners, please? Thanks, Pete. Yeah, that's really, really nice of you. Yeah, and, and thank you for inviting me. It's, it's a really nice invitation. I'm grateful for the opportunity. So, yeah, as you say, it's probably just worth pointing out at the top, like you say, uh, my job role, and I'm happy to share that, is that I'm the Transport Compliance Manager for Tesco. Uh, so, as you say, you know, we, we operate quite a big fleet, quite a, a well-known name. Um, but that's not why we're together today. Exactly like you've said, you know, you've invited me along here not uh, to represent my employer, you know, but just as a fellow member of the of the transport community. Uh, and, and that's important in what we're talking about today, because today I want to talk about my thoughts and my experiences with the industry, not necessarily those of my employer. So, uh, so yeah, great to be here. And, and, and thank you, Pete. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much, James. Yeah, I um, I, I really enjoy uh, the, the the items that James shares because I think uh, you you are a, a very experienced professional and also um, look at things very differently to particularly sort of from my background as well and uh, obviously have had various exposure to to different experiences too. So what a few of the things we're just going to speak about on this session, uh, we're going to have a look at tips around maintaining a compliant fleet, particularly when that might be um, sort of uh, working to a scale. Uh, I really wanted to talk to you as well about CPD as well. That's probably a bit of a curveball, but certainly around professional development, because I know you're a big advocate for that. That's something that we've um, spoken about on online, particularly. Um, maybe frustrations around the sector, um, as well as, you know, we've got a really big, and I, I certainly feel there's a really, really big challenge coming. Um, and uh, I'm feeling it on the ground with the types of clients that we work with, which are the sort of smaller to medium sized fleets. Uh, and that's the driver shortage. We're, we're having a real, real challenge with that. And I'll just be interested to sort of see your insights in that. And then the other the other key area, which are hopefully listeners will be really engaged with and listening. And I think it's something that's coming over the next few years. It's going to be a really big part of the, of the transport sector over the next little while. And that's earned recognition. And that's something that you've been through quite recently um, sure. and, and can share some insights on too. So we'll kick it off at the top, um, if that's okay with, what are your sort of tips around maintaining a compliant fleet and 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 that sort of thing for for those sort of newer newer transport managers? They're newer into it, and uh, and and what sort of top tips have you got? Okay, top tips. I'll try. First of all, you'll be glad to know that uh, like-minded as we are, uh, CPD made it onto my top tips list. So we've already started off talking the same language, which is awesome. Okay. So so I'll come to that because that that's really good. Um, 
anyway, what did I start off with? Uh, tips, it's really hard, you know, there's so many things and, and, and so many sectors, you know, that's part of the challenge, isn't it? What might work in, in um, I don't know, let's say supermarkets, which is what I'm involved with, might not work for some other industry sectors. There's so many, you know, that's one of the things that we notice online is that it doesn't matter how much expertise you have in in the transport industry there's still loads of stuff you don't know out there and people from different sectors are always teaching you stuff so it's really varied so so i'll, I'll try and offer some some tips which might be you may be able to apply anywhere so my first one and it's a favorite of mine in everything that i do uh so it's i think it's a good one to share is about developing robust routines so that's my probably my, one of my biggest tips. Operators that have the most robust compliance routines in place, I find um, it, it's easier for them to achieve the highest standards. That the trick for me is making compliance um, part of the day job rather than it be an exception or a task that we're going to get round to and often if that is the case a task that gets deprioritized so you know in our in our busy transport offices or or, or for our busy transport managers you've got a lot of things to juggle and inevitably service to your customers and costs are, are going to come high on the agenda and, and I, I don't challenge that you know the, the all of those things are important at no point should we perhaps say well compliance should take a lead my view is that what we should be doing as transport operators is building robust compliance routines so that it just fits in it's just part of the day job so that we don't have to you know take exception to doing it that that manifests itself in loads of ways it might be driver routines you know day job stuff such as uh, that routine of a driver going and completing his manual entry is doing his walk round checks um that that just that, that's an example of something that should just be really robust it, it might be it might be management routines such as downloading tachograph cards and 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 and, and tachographs um completing infringement conversations <clears throat> ensuring vehicles are inspected within their frequency um, it might be training routines which is super important so induction routines periodic refreshers training on new equipment as it arrives that sort of thing so all of those things i would say my my, my top tip is is have them documented have them embedded super embedded with the teams that you work with so that they know that as part of their daily routine compliance is part of that and that's and that's among uh your, your clerical support your management teams your drivers all of them just see maintaining compliance as just the day job and, and, and you build routines of that um yeah and i think yeah and then perhaps the the way they manage those routines manifest themselves formally to kind of do the formal piece around what i've just said your policies so I would take that one step further and say that your reference point for all of those routines are some nice firm policies that, de that declare what you will do and how you're going to do it. And that's a great way of uh, giving those that work with you um, uh, a reference document. So what are my routines? What are my infringement routines? What are my maintenance routines? Well, I've got a policy here which, which tells me what I've committed to doing and how I'm going to do it. So there you go. I think routines for everybody would be my first tip. Perfect. Yeah, I've I've just written that down as well, along with policies. I think I think you make a really really good point. Um, you know, recently uh, we were dealing with a with a situation where um, a driver a driver was using social media um, and around a company vehicle. And uh, we kind of draw, draw that back from a compliance point of view to have a look at, well, what, what's the company policy that they put in place around social media usage? And uh, having readdressed that, it was a good opportunity to go, actually, we kind of need to bring this a little bit further forward and update it and review it. So um, I thought that was really, really worthwhile, really, really good, uh, strong points there, particularly around making sure that it becomes part of the day job and it's just not seen as something that's separate. It's just a part of what sure. we do in the day to day. Um, yeah, we really, really love that. And of course, 
uh, when we talk about the regulator, they love that, don't they? If ever, as if ever, any of us are, are, are meeting with the DVSA or the traffic commissioner, then there's nothing they love more than to see that we've got good routines embedded and good policies, because we all know that things go wrong. It happens. No exactly. one's going to take us to task necessarily if things go wrong. If we can demonstrate, actually, that was a one-off. We've got some good explanations for it. We've taken some good next steps to prevent reoccurrence. But underpinning it all is a solid routine and solid policies, which means it's not a frequent occurrence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, really, really like that. Fantastic. Fantastic tip. What else have you got for us then, James? Good, good. I'm glad I started off well. <laughs> Very good. So my next one, I've gone a bit softer here, Pete, actually. My next one is uh, I've said invest in people. Oh. So again, I know that this one will have you nodding your head quite quickly, but I'm a firm believer that almost all of drivers, managers, planners, traffic clerks, whatever, whatever they may be that work with us, come to work to do a good job. And looking after the people that work with you and is essential part of building a strong compliance culture so my view is my tips would be you know take time to train people thoroughly on the routines i spoke about and, and uh, help them really understand why we have these compliance routines so it's not just about uh what we do because it's written here but people everybody drivers managers everybody who has a real understanding of why we do what we do then are going to be more bought into it. And again, that breeds a really good compliance culture and, and, and people will want to do it. So and, and that drives your standards. So I would say really investing in, in, in that training. Um, and again, you know, on, on the people side, that personal side, if people feel like you've invested time and effort into supporting them in their job role, then they're going to be naturally more motivated to support the business in their compliance efforts. You know, they feel a bit inspired. They're going to start using their initiative. They're going to be there to support you. Now, you know, I, I know that I, I, I don't want to suggest I'm painting this idyllic picture where everybody's lovely and everybody helps each other. I know that in the real world, it, it can be a bit more challenging that. And we're all going to be able to talk about a particular person who comes to work and perhaps isn't as motivated as, as the next man. But I think that as, 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 as transport leaders, that we have to start from that premise, invest in people, really look after people, really show them why we do things. Um, and, and that again, that just naturally breeds, nurtures the right compliance culture, doesn't it? So that you've got people around you who are bought into your compliance efforts. So there's my next tip. Uh, it would be about the people. They make it for you. Yeah, what, what a fantastic tip as well. I think uh, investing in people is an absolutely vital part of developing developing the sector into the future for, for, for sure I think my, my my question for you around that one is um, and it is you know it's such a vital part and one of the challenges is how we practically make that happen with uh, I think I think as a there's the dog I did say the dog might go you shush you shush dog oh you shush anyway right so back back up back with you um i may shut up in a minute and mute and then let you talk uh, so i better get my question out very quickly before she goes again um my challenge was around in transport you've got lots of moving parts uh, and it pre presents a real challenge particularly against other sectors where you've got people here and you've got people there and actually getting everyone together to carry training out and raise awareness is probably one of the hardest roles of a transport manager um, and, and compliance team to be able to to be able to do that have you got like how have you come across that and and have you got any sort of tips on how how to try and do that or do you communicate people uh, do you have systems in place where you can communicate with people whilst they're away from the office for example to be able to keep people abreast of of, of their development as well now, that's a really good point pete because it's about that what we call a remote workforce isn't it so I, I often you know when i'm working with my warehouse colleagues make that comparison that they've got their people there they can interact with them all the time and you're absolutely right with a remote workforce a mobile workforce that aren't there that's a real challenge for management and, you, and you're right i think that there are, there are a few tools at your at your fingertips aren't there so uh, in, in our digital age you can communicate with your drivers electronically whether that be giving uh, I don't know there may be some communications where it's appropriate to use email or or text messages or whatever whatever it, you know it may be appropriate but I think again it's it's about in terms of appropriateness it's deciding isn't it what 
which communication channel is the best one. So um, when it's appropriate to have a conversation face to face, then then you've you've got to make it your way to wait wait for that driver to be available and, and catch him you know when he's in the office. Uh, I guess it's about choosing. I guess yeah, my feedback would be it's about choosing your your method of communication carefully. I'll give you an example, and 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 again, it doesn't it doesn't apply everywhere, but I think it's a a nice principle to have. If you've got a driver who is incurring infringements, I wouldn't say that that is something that you can resolve remotely. I think the driver deserves to have a bit of time with a driver trainer or a transport manager, whoever the, 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 the best competent person is. That driver deserves a bit of time to be understood. Let's see what's motivating him. Is, is, is there some issue that's making you make these errors? Is it a knowledge thing that we can we can give him some knowledge? But I think you know, if it's two minutes over the six hour rule, maybe not. If a driver is repeatedly offending or there's some issue that, that is a bit more serious, then I think that's a good example of where we should be reaching out to the driver individually. You don't like that phrase. <laughs> I was waiting for when so, I said resonate. I told you I used it a lot, didn't I? <laughs> I think it's about engaging that driver uh, in person, in person. So let, let's have a chat with him. Let's understand him properly. And again, that, that goes back to the bit about the people, doesn't it? So, so my answer to that question, uh, Pete, is about choosing communications appropriately. You know, some toolbox talks you might be able to email out. Um, if you're giving regular briefings, regular updates, why not have a you know a monthly newsletter of some description, a monthly message that goes out? There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that there's sometimes it's much more appropriate to uh, have that individual interaction. Yeah, I I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Essentially, first thing I'll get it I'll get it out of the way, and that was the in joke between James and I. There was uh, a previous video I've done, uh, and I I, I I knocked the term reaching out, which, uh, which James has used, and then uh, he said resonate. I'd say that a little bit less. Now I haven't quite had a chance to quiz him on why he said that, but uh, that's certainly one of my terms of the month at the moment. I keep saying resonate, so I'm going to try and stop doing that. Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're really proud to sponsor a half dozen things podcast. At Flagship Partners, we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership. We help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC and other transport management services. So if your fours accredited or you want to improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. But actually what you say is to totally true. One, A few of the things that I've, I've toyed with and 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 this might may help people listening and, and what have you there's certain free video hosting platforms like vimeo so if you're confident in getting in front of a camera and recording a message you can actually send a private video so rather than it being on youtube and hosted where it's completely public you can have private videos where you maybe do a briefing you maybe do a short toolbox talk and send it out and my findings on that is that's really worked quite well for certain drivers you ask them to leave a comment or you ask them questions about it to feed you back questions to demonstrate they've listened um, and I, I find that's quite a fantastic tool that drivers can use at their leisure and um, they uh, you know they they, they they can feed that back it hasn't worked for some though and I sure. think we've got to keep that in mind that we, as with all communication it's very important that we communicate with a driver or any member of staff on a level that works for them as well and and that they can they can interpret properly as well so um and, and maybe make that make that transcripted for example so someone might prefer to read it for example so sorry yeah carry on no, i was going to say the other the other thing this is again it's really day job and it's quite small but powerful is don't underestimate that time that the driver is in the office so although it may only be five or ten minutes let's not waste that opportunity. I know we're all busy and I'm not being over idealistic here, but if you've got two or three drivers are in the uh, in the office for 10 minutes, well, let's grab a coffee, go around, have a chat with them, see how they're doing. That may be an opportunity to partake, uh, you know, some, some knowledge, see what's on their mind. So I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we do see, uh, I do experience drivers who, who disappear in and out of the office. And I think, is that a missed opportunity to... Uh, have a quick chat and catch up you know sometimes a, a a training session can be as easy as a you know a quick chat over coffee and it's it goes back to that people piece uh, Pete my fundamental piece about uh, you know looking after people and engaging with them 
Yeah, absolutely. The other opportunity that I'll mention whilst we're on the subject and I'm really passionate about is the gate check. I think you can use a gate check with a driver as a as a stick or a carrot. And um, I think uh, when you engage with drivers and they understand why you have to do a gate check, because that's part of the role that we have to carry out and, and demonstrate that we're effectively managing uh, the, the check process and making sure that drivers are carrying that out. It's also a great opportunity to have a five minute one to one with them and yes, find no. out what are the challenges, what feedback have you got? You know, how uh, how can we help you moving forward? And I think if if a if a transport manager is well developed, well trained with their communication skills, they can make that a really, really valuable bit of time to get some information and get some feedback about how things are and what 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 changes can be made or how we can better support and engage drivers for sure. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and the other thing that I, that I mention in all of that is obviously when you when you working with your people and getting the best out of your people you, you one of the things you want to know is what motivates them and whilst mm. i don't want to work through all the things that motivate different people i would say that everybody in some way is going to be motivated about safety and getting home safe and getting home to the family and and, and that can be you know operator licensing in itself that 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 life that we live is 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 all about safety so when you're doing your gate checks you're talking to your driver, you know, you know drive, I, I, I'm, I'm, my interest is keeping you safe and that's why we're, we're double up in some of these checks. When you're talking to uh, drivers about infringements, well, you know, my job is making sure you don't get too fatigued and you're getting your rest. And when you're dealing with maintenance issues, it's all about safety. And I think that's a universal motivator. If you spin it in the right way, everybody wants to get home safe. So uh, yeah, I think definitely. that's a good, good way, good way of uh, engaging people as well. Definitely. definitely. And, uh, you know, it's that balance of productivity and, you know, particularly with infringements, the balance of product. We want you to be well rested. We want you to have a break. We want you to not be fatigued. You know, productivity is important, but we need to do it in, a, in an appropriate way. We need to make sure, sure that um, everything's fine. Uh, fantastic. Excellent. OK. Did you did you have any more tips for us? I have James? one more. Yeah, one more. I, I did write down a third. Uh, and as I say, I'm, I'm glad, actually. That that you know, as I say, you know, like-minded, you and I, you you mentioned it at the top, and 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 so the third tip that I had uh, was really directed at transport managers, and that is maintain your knowledge, uh, and 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 playing into, and I'll come to it in a second what you said about CPT. So we know that a few years ago the the traffic commissioners solidified in their statutory documents an update that said TMs must show competence beyond just their qualification you know so gone are the days where you can say i've got my cpc certification i am uh, vocationally professionally competent uh, and that's all i need those days are gone now that, that that's not enough and rightfully so i think because i'm of the same view as you that continually professionally developing yourself is really important um and, and I think it, it is vital uh, and, and it also it's easily missed by TMs, again, with greatest intentions, because these are super busy people, really, really busy. And to take a moment to uh, attend a conference or read some of the trade press is difficult. I do understand that. But nevertheless, I wanted it on my list of, of, of tips. And that is that, you know, I recommend all TMs have, uh, in my view, an active CPD document. I think you should write it down for two reasons. One is that if you're ever in a situation where you're challenged on what you do, you know, by a by a TC or someone uh, to to maintain your knowledge, you've got it documented. So I attended a conference on this date. I I listened to Pete's podcast every couple of weeks. You know, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff to say that you're doing something. You're active in the industry to maintain your knowledge. Simple things that I think everyone should be doing, such as subscribing to the DVSA, you know, moving on blogs, some of that essential stuff that's going to feed you really uh, important information. Um, but again, put it on your, in my view, put it on some sort of active CPD document so that you've got that as evidence. And then the other thing which keeps the CPD document live and isn't just a record is having some uh, reflection on where you think your gaps are. So if you think, uh, do you know, I'm not great at reading brake test reports, then don't don't forget that or leave it in your head. Write it on your CPD document 
so that you've got a bit as well as having a record of what you've done to maintain your knowledge. You've maybe always got a couple of things on the bottom that says, actually, that's something I really want to do. So leave it, make it a working document. And that could be something technical that I've just like I've just described. It could be something like, well, I'm going to seek out a transport managers conference this year and I'm going to attend that because there are lots of them out there. Um, so, um, yeah, that was my third one. Um, yeah, magazine subscriptions, trade body memberships, conferences, webinars. There's loads of stuff out there. Uh, and, and that's going to that's going to improve. It, it, it does two things as well, as well as just improving your own knowledge. Uh, the other thing it does, it improves your credibility. So when you're working, when I go back to my people piece, when you're engaging drivers and managers and all sorts of people in the operation, um, you have far greater credit credibility when you uh, are super competent, you know, by by keeping yourself up with legislative changes or keeping yourself up to date with just what's moving in the, in the industry at the moment. So, yeah, CPD. My 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 third top tip, Pete. <laughs> Amazing, and I could I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I, and you know what? I'm so fluffed up that you said, "How about listening to Pete's podcast?" I love that. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's motivated me to carry on doing many more. Um, to, sorry to those who are not enjoying it. <laughs> anyway, but um, I I, t I totally agree around uh, I totally agree around CPD. I couldn't I couldn't agree more at all. Actually, um, I I reflected the other day, and and this was this is just to give. I suppose I've, I'm fortunate because for a while I've worked for smaller family owned businesses, but I also worked for a big corporate too, where safety, environment and quality was was a vital part of what they do and, and person and, and particularly development as well. And I think it kind of changes. It gives you like a paradigm shift around investment in training and investment in yourselves and what have you. But certainly as as a whilst I do do external transport management, I've also now just about to have a team of seven people with me as well and we do do a bit more than just transport but um yeah i've just uh so I, my seventh guy will be starting in september he's working a three-month notice period uh, i've just uh, employed a local national compliance manager for a large fleet he's coming in as well to support the the compliance work we're doing and so i have to develop myself not only from a transport point of view but also from a leadership point of view and i can tell particularly speaking to you, James, that you, you've had quite a bit of leadership when we talk about things like motivation and communication skills and what what's classed as, I, I don't like the term soft skills, but they're such yeah. a vital part of, they're such a vital part of the role as well. And, um, you know, I was, I was reflecting and actually this year, this year alone, I'm personally investing a thousand pound a month in my development, wow. which is really like quite, quite a bit. I was sort of quite, I was like, do you know what? Some business owners will go out and have a Range Rover or something like that, and I'm not. I'm still running around in a Kia Picanto half the time. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, developing me and and the business for the future is sort of how I'm looking at it. But one of the things I do, which is a bit left field, so I do all of the things that we've just said, um, and just to hopefully add a little bit of value and to maybe get people thinking a bit differently. I also invest in, so I do something called Vistage, which is leadership development, and um, I we're the smallest business I'm the smallest business of that group that I participate in but it's essentially like a peer group they're from different industries but they're all leaders in their own right and we talk about things like people development and training and how we can engage people and uh, policies and, and things like that so it, what what I find great is that kind of gives me a fresh approach to an old problem uh, yeah. how does a different sector approach a problem for example and then and then you know alongside that I also do um, I have like some personal coaching around um around sort of myself and it's almost a little bit therapy as well it helps with with my mental health and things like that sure. and um but that helps keep me uh understand how our ticks are talking about motivations and things it's important to know what makes you tick as well and helps you develop but i, I sort of drawing it back to an industry point of view i definitely agree um you know at the moment on top of that i think what's bumped up the cost of that investment as i look at it is i'm also doing i'm upgrading my health and safety uh qualification to to a diploma as well um so that that's obviously added some expense and time as well but i think it's it's so worthwhile um 
but I subscribe to the DVSA. The HSE is a great website as well. So you get yeah. the you can get HSE updates come through. So you get to find out about absence statistics and there's things around mental health that come out and stress in the workplace and all of that. You know, we, you can sort of repurpose that for uh, for our audience as well. So um, there, there's so many different uh, areas. One of the things I just wanted to quiz you on quickly, uh, James, is and I know that's something that you're looking at at the moment based on a recent post on social media, and that's certainly the sort of trade bodies and the trade memberships and what have you so i i'm a member of uh silt and i also um i have customers who are subscribed to rha whilst i don't at the moment um what's your sort of take on that and and um, and do you um do, do you think that there's maybe something more that transport managers could do or um it feels almost like so one of the things i know you were looking at i just frame that a little bit better as around external transport managers and the representations exactly. of those um yeah. I'm, I'm quite interested in in your thoughts on that yeah so so you're right i asked the question because i think that um a lot of big organizations bigger transport operators get a lot out of the trade uh, relationships they have um i think in their case a, a lot of the time it's about you get out what you put in you know if, mm. if you're really active in engaging your trade body then you're um you're helping them uh, in terms of defining how they uh, influence government, influence legislation, influence, lo influence local councils, and you're really active in that engagement, then you can make a difference. The reason I, I, I put the post on social media, and, and as exactly as you say, was because I hear a lot of external transport managers uh, talking about frustrations that they have, you know, about, about different aspects of the industry. And and I asked myself, well, you know, what, how are they, how is that external transport manager population represented um, by by you know these organisations like RHA, Logistics UK, and stuff in 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 affecting change and and, and having a voice. Um, and I was, I think, I think what I you know the, the responses to my post bore out. Um, what I was concerned about, and that is that I don't think there is, I don't think that the external transport manager uh, population is well represented in that arena. And I even spoke to one of the trade bodies and asked them what their thoughts on that was. And, and, and I think it was, to be fair, I think they probably kind of agreed that those smaller memberships, those individual memberships from external transport managers weren't, weren't that numerous. So yeah, it's an interest for me, Pete. It was an interesting point because I think they do have a lot of value. Um, mm. I work really closely as it goes with Logistics UK. Um, I, I chair the Greater London Freight Council. I chair the uh, Van Policy Working Group, both of which they facilitate. I, I attend National Road Council. Um, I, I, I do a, a, a Van Working Group with Highways England, um, and I think that. I, it enables me to influence some stuff and put an opinion forward, which makes a difference uh, with a lot of other, you know, not just me. There's a lot of uh, other, I sit round the table, you know, probably in all of the groups once a month effectively, which are, which are with a group of other industry players, you know. But I think my challenge going back to the point was that it's often the big players. And I wonder, I haven't got the answer, but I wonder what the industry needs to do to give a better voice to these really hardworking external transport managers who in a lot of ways have a, have a, have a tougher job. You know, these guys are often on their own and they've got, they don't, they're not unlike an internal transport manager who usually has a bit of a support structure. Uh, external transport managers are often there on their own. You know, they've got maintenance and they've got uh, driver's hours and they've got operator licensing and operating centre and everything that goes along with that. Um, and, and I think it's a super tough job. And, and, and my point about the trade organisations was because I was asking myself, wouldn't I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if that that big group of really knowledgeable expert external transport managers we're also having their voice heard and influencing that so that's what that came out of amazing amazing and i i think uh i, I think you're absolutely right and let's uh, let's see what comes of it you know i think uh, i think external transport managers need need a bigger voice uh, I'm, I'm quite passionate about that uh, i suppose as as one that's part of what we do and uh, i 
I, I don't know how that looks. I don't know how we can evolve it. And I think one of the things that frustrates me, and uh, and that is the, the overall general sort of bad reputation uh, or potentially bad uh, reputation around uh, around external transport management. And uh, I think uh, there, there's some there's, there's some uh, mem organisations or, or groups on on some of the social media channels that uh, are not very uh, I, f I feel as well run. I need to be very careful what I say here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might just stop actually. Um, but yeah, if anyone does want to, what I will say is if anyone does want to have a genuine debate and uh, and, and and look at those things, I do host a transport manager and consultants hub on Facebook um, where I try and make sure uh, everything is very impartial. It's not really for advertising services. The purpose of it is to just actually, you know, we're not about connecting external transport managers with work. We're not about anything like that. It's about personal development. It's about professional development and uh, for any questions in a really safe environment where you know, I administer it and as it grows, I'll look for other people to help help me do that because it isn't there's no there's no sales agenda there at all. OK, Brill, Brill, what's your biggest frustration then with the with the industry, James? Frustration. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I've got the biggest because everyone, we all have frustrations, don't there? A number of them. So I, I, I ended up, I'm going to make this really high level. I, I was really quite general with it and, and I'm going to spin it as you would expect as you get to know me. I'm going to spin it and say biggest opportunity, I think, um, uh, is is just that recognition of the freight industry as, as essential infrastructure in the UK. Now that's really high level, but I think that that will drive a lot of uh, improvement in the other frustrations we have. So without being cliche, because I know it's a real common retort for a lot of pe people in the transport industry at the moment, but there's some, there's, they're right in what they're saying. Last year, we saw a lot of credit and quite rightly so given to the transport sector because they supported the country through a really tough time. Yeah, and there's no doubt that uh, it was perhaps for a lot of people the first time that they stood up and thought, wow, look what the transport industry does for us, getting things to where they need to be bought or serviced, whatever it may be. Um, and, and there was talk uh, during that period about the need to recognise freight or the transport sector industry as, as essential infrastructure and, and I still think I, I don't think we should let that go I think it should be it, yeah, it absolutely should be and, and and the reason I say that just to kind of look what sits underneath that a little bit perhaps some examples would be I don't necessarily think we would face some of the same challenges I think some of the challenges would be significantly helped if we if it was recognised as essential infrastructure. So I know we're going to go on to talk about it, but would it be as hard for us to face into this driver shortage challenge? Some of the things that we want to see in terms of improving the driver shortage, would that be as difficult for us if if, if transport was recognised as essential infrastructure? Um, there's lots of things I can talk about, but let's say driver facilities up and down the country, that's a, that's an emotive subject for drivers. And, and you could even say topically at the moment when we've got areas of Kent now in the news because they're saying, well, we're going to stop drivers from parking in our lullabies for, you know, anything more than 45 minutes. And that's a direct, uh, you know, attack, if you will, on, on, on the heavy goods vehicle driver. And I know there's some, you know, there's some positive motivations because they, they've got all through traffic to the to the to the south coast and to, to the continent and they, they don't want all the laybys clogging up. But I, my, my belief is there's a better balance there. And, and and I think, again, is that something that would be the change would be motivated a little bit better if, if, if the industry was recognised as essential. Um, road user charging could be another one I throw in there. You know, we've got um, uh, let's take London, for example, a lot of us are close to that. So we've got DVS, we've got the London Lorry Control Scheme, we've got Safer Lorry Scheme, we've got the low emission zone and the ultra low emission zone. Later in the year, TFL will start uh, consultation on, and I can't remember the new name for it, but a cent an additional central London road user charge um, as part of their commitment to uh, uh, you know, the, the money that the government paid them the, 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 to, to bail them out and support them. So they've had some commitments. So there's more of that going on. We've got clean air zones all around the country. And whilst, again, I'll, I'll acknowledge that I'm super supportive of all of these measures that improve 
um, air quality and health of people, absolutely. But I wonder if the freight industry would face quite as many varied, this multiplicity of challenges, um, which, which all deplete margins and, and make it harder to operate if we were recognised as essential infrastructure. So there you go. So a little bit higher level, but that was my kind of thought in terms of biggest opportunity. Perhaps that would be my my point. Brilliant, brilliant. I I don't know how well qualified I am I am to comment on this. However, it was great. I I think I'd echo echo your point around. It was great to see certainly transport workers having the key worker badge last year. I think uh, I think that was fantastic and putting them on a. Uh, put putting the sector on a on a par with the not necessarily on a par with the NHS because that's quite emotive, but it you know up at key worker status yeah, I think absolutely uh, I think goes goes to demonstrate you know how vital the infrastructure is uh, to to our our existence uh, as a civilization. Um, I think I think I think you you're right in that if we raise the profile of the sector and we improved. Uh, the perception of people and the level of investment that we had towards the sector, I think it would go to improve the driver shortage. So I suppose the next question is going to be, well, how can we improve the driver shortage, which we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, I think overall, it's not a glamorous sector to work in. Um, I was interviewing Roger Grafe a couple of weeks ago, who's a, who's a filmmaker, BAFTA award winning filmmaker, and the, the podcast will be out shortly. But he... Um, he used to be involved in in sort of architecture and infrastructure and and those kinds of things. And actually, people getting from A to B, public transport or uh, people's goods getting to them or refuse collection or whatever it may be, it's not a sexy part of society, and it mm. and it never it never really will be. But it's what brings us into the twenty first century, and it is you know that infrastructure is what it is. And I think uh, we need to do more. We need to do more to support support those organisations because um, at the moment the margins are getting pinched. There's yeah. a lack of investment. Margins are really really tight, and uh, it, it's just we've got a lot of companies in the sector that are just feeling very very squeezed. Yeah. Uh, it's a high capital investment um you know very very high capital investment very low margin and when you look at it as a sector against other sectors and and the return on investment and you know if we start to talk hard numbers and things like that um it's a it's a it's a real challenge and it is you know I, I don't know what the answer is but um so maybe we move on to driver shortage because i don't know what the answer <laughs> to that is either and i don't either and i think you know in answering your question about you know biggest frustration i think if i'd picked on some smaller frustrations we might have been able to come up with some answers but i think there are perhaps too many to choose from so i wanted to kind of you know i don't think that you and i are going to have an answer to how how we get government to recognize that the how essential the infrastructure you know transport infrastructure should be but uh, but i think that my point is that if we if it was it would drive uh, uh, down a lot of the other challenges that we have I think. yeah no i absolutely think so so um moving on then to to sort of frame frame the the discussion around driver shortage and to sort of see see your perspective on that one of the things that i see in the position i'm in at the moment is I, I deal with a varying amount of small companies. We do we do training to smaller and medium sized uh, family owned businesses uh, in the transport sector, and it feels like there's a very very small pond of drivers that everyone's trying to fish out of at the moment. And um, it, it's very much certainly in my part of the world, we're looking at uh, what I would say a quite worrying drivers market where drivers are able to move around for the vehicle they want or for the for the wages that they want to to just fit them and uh, transport owners are, are left tearing their hair out trying to fulfill uh, trying to fulfill and being able to run operationally is that is that something you're witnessing in your part of the world as well and, so uh, and what's going on yeah no doubt no doubt it's it's a massive challenge you know I I've been at a couple of um um, meetings, uh, you know, with other people in the industry over the last couple of months, and the sentiment is generally that uh, we shouldn't be talking about anything else. You know, I know there's a lot going on, but there's a lot of big companies out there saying this is the only subject on the agenda. It's it's not critical. Um, obviously, that's a kind of exaggerating to make the point when people say that, but that's the sentiment. You know, so you're absolutely right. It's a massive, massive challenge, uh, and no doubt, you know. Uh, 
again a little bit cliche but it's this perfect storm isn't it uh, that, that we that we've seen potentially seen coming but we, we kind of were suspicious of so we saw the end of the transition period last year which uh, which resulted in a bit of an exodus of, of some of that uh, you know the european uh, professionals that 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 stopped working in the uk then we've had the introduction the deferred introduction of ii35 and that's had a, an additional impact and then of course last year there was I can't remember the number, tens of thousands of um, uh, driving tests that, that got postponed by the uh, DVLA. So th this kind of perfect storm, you're exactly right, has resulted in, uh, you know, and I don't think any of us need to talk about the, the, the who we work for. It's affecting everybody, uh, yeah. no doubt. Um, and, and it's a real challenge. And, and, and it's a difficult one to talk about how you're going to fix it quickly. You know, yes. I think I think and, and I'll talk about a couple of thoughts I have on on what can help perhaps uh, give us some turnaround uh, quicker. But this isn't. Yeah, there's there's got to be some long term measures in, in place as well. Um, so I think in terms of, of what we could be doing, um, I mean, it's good that the DVLA have restarted testing. Uh, and they're doing that at a pace, so they've restarted at about twice their normal capacity, which is great news. Uh, and and so my my hope would be that they continue with that, if not increase it. You know, let's get whatever drivers are available to us. Uh, this won't just be, you know, new drivers uh, who are waiting for the test. This was there's a whole group of people in that in that pot who companies have invested in through apprenticeship schemes. So last year there was a lot of there were a lot of companies that had part that were partway through in apprenticeship scheme with drivers who then couldn't complete them. So there's a real there's a real glut of drivers who are ready to go who just need the test. So I, I hope that continues at a pace. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, uh, and again, this is a bit kind of governmental. I, I can't influence it necessarily, but I think grants or interest free loans for those wanting to take to acquire their license. Maybe we should incentivize that a bit more. Like you say, it's not always an attractive industry. It's not something that, um, you know, schools and colleges will necessarily be uh, promoting at, at the forefront of their careers discussions. Uh, I, I, I think they should. So I have that as a separate point that I think schools and colleges should be doing more to, to promote that. And we and businesses should attract from schools and colleges. but it's not a cheap step, is it, getting your license? So it'd be good if there was some grants or, or additional financial support for people who want to acquire their license. Mm -hmm. um, apprenticeships, again, need, need to continue. I think there's more, I mean, we've seen some increased money for heavy goods vehicle drivers doing apprenticeships recently, but that should continue because I think that's an opportunity. It's not a, a short-term one, but, you know, for companies that can invest in apprenticeships, then you're investing in the future, aren't you? So that's an opportunity. And then again, on, on the bigger scale, not something I can influence, but I, I can give you an opinion. I think that we can, that the government can do more to re-energise our access to the, the European labour market. So by adding, for example, HGV drivers to the UK shortage occupation list, they're not on there at the moment. It's not recognised as a, uh, a a occupation that we're short of and I think that recognition of that would then allow you know more uh, more of that European uh, uh, professionals to come back and join us. I think again short term the government could consider short-term temporary visa scheme. Uh, it's not unheard of we're not we're not reinventing the wheel here if you go and look at the um, farming industry i forgive the terminology it's not my area of expertise but there's there's existing temporary visa scheme for people to come over and, and support that industry we absolutely could do that with hgv drives and again that would give us access to a market that we haven't got at the moment and then probably tied into those then again the permanent long-term recognition of an hgv driver as having a qualification that automatically grants them access to the UK market. So again, that isn't the case at the moment. The HGV driving, the HGV license entitlement is a level two qualification. You know, the old kind of, they talk about it as a GCSE equivalence to, you know, for those not familiar with those levels. Um, but a level two qualification isn't automatically recognised 
as as a vocation that you can come and, and access the UK for. And, and I think it should be, again, tied into that whole um, shortage occupation list. So I think there's some stuff that the government can do that would help us short term and long term. Um, but again, I haven't got it. I, I haven't got a quick answer. It's tough. And, and I think you're absolutely right. The point about as now and you see it in the press, we've started to see it in the press over the last couple of weeks, this rhetoric about the solution being drivers wages are going to go up, which is no good if your margins are tight. That's that's a, a, how does that help? So that's that's a worrying uh, development is that I think. Yeah, I, I've been on, I've been on mute because the dog's been uh, dog's been going off on one. I think the postman's just arrived. Another key worker, by the way. Um, <laughs> just just make that point. I think I you you've made some amazing points there, and I've I've not got a great deal of value that I feel uh, qualified to add. Other than I think if if we're going to do financial grants, which I think is a really great idea, uh, zero interest loans for people to get the license and that sort of thing. I think insurance parties are going to, uh, insurance companies are going to need to come to the party with insuring new drivers and younger drivers as well. And whether uh, family type businesses will get grants to be able to support that as well. I think that would be a really, really good use of government money um, to get people into work. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Wages can't improve where, where you've got a sector which is struggling for margin and with high levels of it, uh, capital investment, which we are, we, we have to be realistic around wages. What, what we need to promise is reliable, consistent employment, which is, I think, a, a, in, in these times is a real, you know, valuable thing because there's there's, you know, there's industries out there which um you know people people can't sort of build a family around and build a build a career around well actually uh, the transport sector can offer that yeah wait you know it may not be that people are going to be able to afford the instagram lifestyle for example but they're going to get great experience great exposure to travel in the country you know there, there's some really good examples of flexible working patterns um uh, you know around around different things and maybe as a sector we could be better around offering flexible working patterns for example because of sure. it, we're, we're a 24 7 business so essentially um essentially we, we could offer those things and those things should, could be considered but i guess yeah my, my only real thing is i well i think one of the big blockers is insuring uh, insuring younger drivers and newer drivers um and i think both the insurance companies could help incentivize that and it'd be a really good use of government money like like you say as well um, yeah definitely brilliant brilliant and uh, I, i'd certainly say to anyone considering going into driving as a vocation it is um it's a great career move you know it is stable employment there's no you know if you want to drive there there is plenty of work out there and you you won't be without a job if you're if you're a good driver if you're safe if you're focused on uh making sure that you uh you on road safety on making sure that you don't overwork your infringements or anything silly like that then there's good stable employment and there'll be an army of employers looking to <laughs> looking to bring you into absolutely. the business absolutely you know we we talk about it being challenged, but at the moment, if you're a driver, you know it's it's your market. So so that's 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 some absolutely, absolutely. okay, brilliant. So James, I, I'm going to move it on to sort of the final area that I wanted to ask you about. You've you've recently been through the process of becoming uh, approved for earned recognition, sure. um, and um, it'd just be great for for me particularly. I haven't been particularly close to it as yet. It is something that I see will potentially be something that the business gets involved with as as there's more of a business case for us to do it. Um, but I, I'm interested to hear sort of how that went and, and what the process is like and uh, any insights that you can share on, on, on earned recognition, please, James. Yeah, yeah, happy to. No, and, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm pleased. You know, I, 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 we went through it and, and have been successfully accredited to it. So, so yeah, it's it's a great achievement. Um, well, congratulations. You know, yeah, thanks, thanks. It's um, it's something I've admired on. You know, as you know, I, I work uh, in the industry and 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 uh, with a lot of external organisations for for some time, and so I've been kind of following uh, earned recognition since whatever it was, 2016. It was muted, I think, the first. Uh, piloting operators were in 2017 and I've followed it really closely throughout that time um, and I have to confess in the beginning I, I was a, a little bit hesitant Not that that was a, a negative reflection on earned recognition but I, I said um, my view was um, I'd like to see it mature I'd like to see what benefits are, are going to be available in future before uh, before um, uh, you know I, I uh, 
I, I promote it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a positive for, for the employer that I work for. Um, and clearly I wasn't on my own. You know, we all know that uptake was really slow in the beginning. I, I think it's picking up now. I, I see on, on social media more and more people getting accreditation or talking about going through it. So I think maybe they've turned a corner. Um, but what made my decision um, was I think that it was good to see a real commercial benefit offered last year in terms of those MOT extensions. So if you were, um, I can't remember the criteria now, I think if you had a green OCRS um, or you were earned recognition, you were given a, an MOT exemption regardless of age of your fleet, you know, which which I think was really a, a, a really strong benefit. Uh, some would argue that actually that wasn't the earned recognition giving the benefit. That was the DVSA desperately trying to find a way to resolve their MOT situation. But I, I, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not pass judgment. Let's just say that they offered the benefit to earned recognition um, uh, accredited operators. And that's a great signal to the industry that, that that's the way to go. Uh, and I know that there's other things they're talking about that could come in the pipeline. And even if there's not specific things that they're looking at, which could be made available to earned recognition operators, which will give a good tangible benefit. Um, there's this general talk about well, if there are going to be initiatives in the future, even if they they be for everybody in the future, you know, let's have, let's work with our earned recognition operators first. So I think there is some potential for us to see uh, some commercial benefits. There's no doubt though that the softer benefits are there as well, and and, and I don't want to. Um, I, I should encourage people, you know, to really uh, think about those. So the the, the prospect of. Uh, so the principle, for those who don't know, that the DVS operate on in terms of earned recognition is that it supports them with their um, enforcement. So the, the DVSA don't want to be enforcing um, compliant organisations. That takes up time, it takes up resource, and, and, and they want to be, along with us, they want to be focusing on uh operators that are serially seriously non-compliance for, for whatever reason and, and that's where we want their uh, energies to be as well so if you're an earned recognition operator you know there's some great benefits in in uh fewer roadside stops fewer visits to your facilities if you do have incidents which as i said earlier on th things always go wrong you know as incidents can happen then um you, you report that directly and there's some immediate conversation between you and the regulator, which again is, is a benefit. It may, it may curb formal action because you're, you're engaging them straight away. Um, there's potentially a, a benefit to your business of having that accolade, you know, having your a sticker on your truck that says earned recognition or being able to tell your customers that you can access this website and, and, and you know, my name is there to demonstrate that I'm a a compliant operator. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that you know it was it was the right time for us to join. Um, in terms of the process, so higher level, the process isn't isn't a complicated one. You know, they've made it re relatively simple in terms of the steps you take. Um, you have uh, there are some eligibility criteria in the first place, and I can't remember them all, but it's about length of time you've been operating, a period of um, of um, a period of time where you've had no, uh, you know, prosecutions in terms of public inquiries and that sort of thing. You've been, you've been, you've been well behaved for some period. I can't remember all the eligibility criteria, but they're not too, you know, prohibitive. Um, then there's the um, there's the audit. So uh, you before you become a member, you have to undertake an external audit. There are a bunch of accredited outages out there. There's a list of named accredited outages and you invite them in to do the audit. Um, and I guess therein lies the, the, the tough part. It's that preparation. So preparing for the audit is, 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 is quite a, a challenge because it's it's not a small audit. It's not a it's not a small thing at all. It's very detailed. That, I've got it right next to me here. I might refer to it in a second. It's a it's a seventy four page document, um, uh, and I'll I will actually, if I may, Pete, I'll run you through the headlines because uh, yeah, it, uh, there are other nine sectors, and I think this will help people in understanding, you know, what what it looks at uh, to give you a flavour. Obviously, underneath each heading, there's a whole load of detail, but look, let me just whiz through the nine 
um, sections of the audit that gives you a flavour of, of of what's that's covered. That. So operator licensing is one, and that's and that's the the big stuff like uh, you know having the correct legal entity. Um, uh, conditions, undertakings on your license, your operating centres, your high level operator license stuff. Transport manager and responsible person is section two, and that's all about their knowledge and their effective control. Uh, vehicle standards, that's a big long list because obviously that's your maintenance, everything to do with your, your maintenance. So they will audit you to death on everything from walk around checks, maintenance routines, first use inspection recalls you know something that you're not thinking about every day so it's very detailed and then similarly as you would expect the other big topic that we work day-to-day -day drivers hours so all about your infringement handling returning of records speed limit compliance tachographs all of that stuff section five is operational management so this is where it's a standard which isn't wholly compliance it's a safety efficiency and and compliance standard so in the operational management they they, they look a little bit outside of, of of the everyday compliance stuff in terms of insurance and your routines around uh, tax and um, agency drivers use of subcontractors overloading operational routines uh, then there's a section on driver management uh, which covers driver recruitment and license checking and payments and incentives, those sort of things. Uh, a section on driver training and behaviour, so CPCs, behaviours, telematics, all of that. Other driver related policies is a bit miscellaneous, which covers things like uh, mobile phone policy, drugs and alcohol, you know, but they don't fit anywhere else. And then finally, a section for those for whom it's applicable on EDR. So hopefully, Pete, that's just giving you a, a flavour there. There's nine sections there and underneath each of those, there's a there's a load of detail. Um, so the, the the audit is quite exhaustive. Um, and I guess the other point I'd make about that for those who are, are considering giving it a go um, is it's more about your policies and routines, going back to my earlier point, than it is about that snapshot of, of what, I, what I can see on the day. You know, if, when the auditor comes, they're going to be more interested in, uh, let's choose an example, what, what, are your, what are your policies and routines around uh, driver behaviours or infringements or maintenance routines, rather than actually I just I looked at something on the day, I looked at a vehicle record on the day, I looked at a driver on the day, that's not what it's about. Some audits, we, we know they're a snapshot and the auditor comes yes. in, looks at what's a day and that's your judgment. Earned recognition isn't like that. It's really about having policies and routines that back everything up, um, which, which you know, obviously I, I gave it as a top tip earlier on. That, I think that's good for any transport operator, but it also means that, you know, if, if, if on the day something isn't going to be perfectly in line, that's not an issue. It's all about having policies and routines to demonstrate, you know, this is the situation. And when it goes wrong, we've got these really robust routines that, that make sure that it's a one off and, and, and it isn't repeated. So really exhaustive uh, uh, audit, I would say anyone who wants to start looking at it, that's your key. Start looking. What's my what are my policies around tax discs? What's my policy around insurance? All of that. Um, yeah, and then on top, Pete, obviously the other bit then ongoing for, for those who are interested is this bit about uh, sending data to the regulator every month. So really important, I think, on, on their behalf. I, I feel I should uh, bust a myth here. It's not about the DVSA accessing your data. They don't want to do that. They haven't got time to do that. And, and you wouldn't want it either. Um, I, you know, for today, I'm sure, Pete, I could go on for ages, but um, there are a very defined set of, um, it's not even data, it's yes, no. Did I meet this KPI? Did I not? So there's, there'll be an infringement uh, percentage target that you've got to meet. The um, the MOT target is 95% over a period of time. There's a there's a hundred percent target on making sure all your vehicles and trailers are serviced within their defined frequency. So there's a list of off the top of my head, nine or ten KPIs. And all you do is you all that's transmitted to the DVSA once a period, once every four weeks, is did I make it 
or did I not? And there's a couple of, okay. you know, like a like a red, amber, green style thing. I won't go into it, but it's that sort of style. So they're not looking at all your data. They're just getting some monthly verification that you're hitting the, the, the KPIs, that you're remaining compliant. And if you fall short of one, again, that's that's not the end of the world. It just prompts a discussion between you and the regulator about what happened? What are you doing to fix it? Great. And they're, they're really supportive. You know, it's not a I didn't feel at any point under any pressure. They were really supportive every step of the way. So for those who want to uh, get involved, then uh, yes, yeah, start, start those conversations with the DVSA. The earned recognition team are really supportive. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's not a it's 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 a there's a bit of work to do to get there, but they don't make it a challenging or a high pressure process at all. Perfect. I think it's good. It's good to know that there's a grown up conversation to be had around having an effective transport management system. I think I think that is probably the, the customers I speak to or the operators I speak to. Um, I think the query is around what level of data is shared and 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 that information. But essentially, if you're sharing a report each month around whether you've a red, amber, green process with a with an element of KPIs, which we should all be working to anyway. Sure. Uh, that you know that that that's something that we should be working to without without doubt anyway. So therefore, if we if we're sharing those, we're demonstrating that the desire and the intentions there to do the right thing and to be a compliant operator. So there's no there's no real reason not to. It sounds it sounds like um I, it's been really insightful for me actually having not been involved in uh, a company that's got and recognition just seeing how what that's like to live with so and I, I assume that you then have an annual audit which will then make sure that your reporting mechanism on a monthly basis is true reflection of what's happening and, and that that's sort of what that future uh process of maintaining it will be like is that is that correct yeah basically once you're a member there are there are kind of three three um ongoing elements really and that is a two yearly audit so oh, okay. every two years there is the KPI thing that I mentioned. So you're, you're, you, 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 it's you actually your software providers will be transmitting that bit of data to them every month, just to so they know you're you're hit, you're keeping at the standard. And then there's a, um, then you have some obligations in terms of reporting. So if you uh, if you have a serious incident, a serious crash, a conviction, a bridge strike then you've got to report that to them as well uh, but again you know that's so that they can support you and make sure that you're there isn't a pattern building up of non-compliance you know so yeah. they're, they're kind of the three things that are then part of that ongoing membership fantastic fantastic james there endeth my questions i think we've just tipped over the hour mark but uh, at the top end uh, we had the conversation around we weren't sure if there was enough stuff. You said you'd got <laughs> some notes and what have you. It's, true. it's amazing, isn't it? It just flies. The, yeah, the it does. Just flies, I'm glad it? we had lots to share. It's good. Yeah. James, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest. Um, for those that are listening and if you're on LinkedIn, uh, get you know, you can get in touch with James on LinkedIn um, or uh, on, on Facebook. He's a member of, uh, of of the various transport manager groups and what have you and shares some really good insights as well. So it's uh, it's well worth being a member of those groups. I mentioned uh, the group, the group that I look after earlier, so I shan't do that again uh listen back if you want to remember it but there we go there ended the question so thank you very much james for having me thank you everyone for listening i think uh as we said about cpd listen record it make sure that it's a living document so carry on subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with friends as well and uh yeah take care thank you very much i really hope you loved today's episode and if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.